This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Steven. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that the show will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. What are y'all drinking this week? I've got like this um, this new watermelon LaCroix, but you know how like some of the LaCroix flavors have French names? I don't yeah. know how to pronounce this one, but it looks like Paste Q, like Q-U-E. Oh, so I'm guessing it's like okay. Pastique. Right. But it's I mean, that that's, feels like a good guess. Good. I like, I don't, I'm not really a LaCroix fan. I like saying <gasps> the word pamplemousse, though. <laughs> so you get it. Josh, you bring a different LaCroix every week. Yeah. Uh, do you just get like a variety pack? You do. I give you kudos. Yeah. Costco, baby. It's, mm-hmm. it's a go. deal. I go through like one of them a week. Right. Oh, wow. Jeez, man. Wait, you Somewhere go through like there. a whole pack? Yeah, about. Do you drink real water? Maybe okay, maybe maybe up to two weeks. No, don't drink regular water. It's poison. Look it up. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, <I'm- all> right. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> I'm drinking a classic cherry Coca Cola. Oh, nice. There you go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm drinking. Okay, so like I grew up with coffee kind of being just a necessity thing, and then I started working at a coffee shop, and then I thought I went like full on coffee snob and was like. Only doing French press and pour over, but uh, recently my wife and I purchased a Keurig Mini, and oh. I'm loving it, you guys. Mm-hmm. I love a quick cup of coffee, so that's what I'm working on today. Excellent. Nice. Wonderful. I had a question for you two. I texted, oh, so you, I texted you an image to our group chat, and uh, I'm wondering if I could just describe the image and post my question and see what happens sure. this week. Oh, I suppose. Okay. So what we're looking at, I'm also going to put this photo in the show notes itself so people can like head over in their app and look at this photo as well. But I'm looking at an image of like a cartoon, a gray cartoon elephant. And there is a collection of humans all with blindfolds on and they're touching the elephant in different places. One person is straddling it at the top and saying it's a fan as it tugs on an ear. Another person is poking one of the tusks and he's saying it's a spear. Another person is like hugging the trunk and saying it's a snake. Another hugging one of the legs saying it's a tree. Another has a ladder leaning up against the side of the elephant saying it's a wall. And another is holding onto the tail saying it's a rope. Oh. Mm -hmm. And this... This is one of my favorite thought experiments when it comes to world religion and interfaith conversations. So I'm wondering if the different world religions, if we were going to name the majors, probably Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, Islam, Christianity, seem like the big five, at least. Uh, What Mm -hmm. do you think the possibility is that we're all blindfolded people touching the same elephant and claiming that we're interacting with a different deity 
Ooh. I'd like to point out before we answer the question that uh, this story or this like parable or poem or image has been around since I just looked it up. The earliest recorded one that they can find is about 500 BC. They think it originated in India. Mm. Oh, wow. But like this is not a new analogy. Oh, certainly not. I'm, I'm, I'm not claiming I invented it. I found yeah, it on the yeah. internet. <laughs> um, I have really complicated views about this. Um, but my yes. short answer is yes and no. Oh. Okay. Explain. Explain. What's the long answer? Um, my long answer is I think that we can find truth in other traditions, and I think the Bible supports that. And I think, like, the tradition of Christianity supports that. But I don't think that that means we're all describing the same thing. Because mm. Christianity is very distinct from other religions. Mm-hmm. And I would argue Christian, the, the Christian view of God, like the Orthodox view, is also very different from how other religions describe the divine. Even if we're, like, describing similar, like, lowercase t truth, I think that, like, we're, I think the elephant analogy can be really overused to like argue that we're just all the different paths leading up the same mountain. Mm-hmm. Like I think it can be a helpful analogy in some ways, but mm-hmm. I, I think it's maybe a little oversimplified sometimes. So that's my long-ish answer. Okay. Well, so, but here's a question then, because I think one thing that, maybe is brought to the surface is the fact that we okay so let's refer to the picture so there's this elephant and there's you know people touching different parts of the elephant and they don't know you know what the other parts are they don't know like they don't understand the full the full idea couldn't the argument be made about god in a sense like yes there are very distinct elements with christianity and with even like orthodox Christianity and and different religions, the fact that we're human, like we can't fully grasp the concept of God. So couldn't like wouldn't the analogy actually make more sense because we don't fully see the elephant. We only see the part that we are grasping. Well, yeah, I agree with that. I think that's why it's a partial yes for me. But I don't think we can stop there. Okay. But but I agree with you that like I don't think all any of us have the fullest understanding. But like if someone's going to be a professing Christian and say I think God looks most like Jesus, they're making an argument. They're saying like I don't think God looks like these here okay. I'm kind of rambling, but here's my here's how I think I look at it. I think that we can see like other depictions of God and the divine in different traditions. And like even recognize them as true, like God looks like this or this, mm-hmm. or other religions like come to the conclusion that God is love. But in my mind, at least the way I've heard it described, is that the Christian like takes it a step further and says those are like tr- like impartially true, or not like the fullest extent of truth. But we believe that Jesus is the fullest extent. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That we can come to. Yeah. So, okay. so one of the, one of the things to mention about the thought experiment itself, and even the image we're referring to, is that it, we 
we have the benefit of being a third party viewer. Like we have the benefit right. of our site and we get sure. to see that it's an elephant and all the other people are blindfolded, right? So it already presupposes a little bit of intellectual hubris to say I can I can say that I know the full picture of the elephant and all these other people are just bumping into bits and pieces and saying definitively mm, that it's mm-hmm. the thing that they're grasping, right? Sure. So yeah, what do you think, Stephen? Like what what is it about this image that you think is still thought-provoking for you? Mhm. Or like what is this what does this lead you to possibly conclude? Mm. So what I like in this thought experiment is kind of sending sending different uh lines of study or your different senses of the diff- of different religions and hearing echoes of what we were raised with in Christianity. So like if we were going to say something that I believe that the Buddhists get right is that life necessitates suffering to some mm. degree. Mm. Mhm. And the Hindus, okay, so the, this is the one that trips me out the most, is that the idea of Trinity comes from Hinduism, as far as I can tell, many, many years before the idea of Trinity in Christianity kind of arises into our uh, nomenclature, mm. right? Mm, mm-hmm. Like, they're already identifying some triune nature to the gods they encounter, the gods they pray to, the gods they worship in their temples, Mm-hmm. You know, so like seeing echoes mm-hmm. of what of what we could say are closer to what we think is truth, right? Because we read the Bible yeah. and, you know, we pull theologies like Trinity out. And then you're taught, whoa, wait, the Hindus also sensed something about Trinity mm-hmm. as their tradition mm-hmm. was developing. It's like when, when, I, when I run into those kind of echoes of what I was taught, but in a completely different tradition in a different part of the world, um, in a different, even a different way of thinking, like oh, we could mm. get into the difference between Western and Eastern thought, but sure. the, mm-hmm. the fact that Trinity comes out of Eastern thought from Hinduism long before the early church was starting to do their theologizing about Trinity more in a Western sense. Mm-hmm. Like we're seeing these common threads appear. Now, mm-hmm. I guess my my question though is so Josh, what I hear you saying is that you think there is there might be flavors of truth in other places, but that Christianity brings it into greater focus or like is a fully yeah. realized truth that we can like that we find in other traditions is that what you're thinking well i think that if someone's going to like say they follow christ and be a professing christian i think that that's i think that's the argument to be made sure mm-hmm. i don't know though there would be a whole separate discussion about like objective and subjective truth i think that maybe we don't have time for but i don't think for instance someone could be a muslim christian Hmm. Like if there's if there's like things in each tradition that contradict each other, then I don't think that works. But for instance, if someone is like exploring Buddhist philosophy and Christianity and it's not it's not clear that it's contradicting each other's view of God and humanity, then I think that maybe the elephant analogy is a little bit more applicable. Hmm. I do think maybe we should circle back to what I brought up earlier about the Bible supporting something like this. Mm, 
Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, There's like, there's this passage where Jesus refers to the idea that he has sheep from another flock. Um, Or Paul talks about um, uh, like Christ being made evident in creation Mm -hmm. because Christ was there in the beginning and Christ is in all and through all. And I think if we're going to like read those passages of the Bible, like, and we believe them, then like we shouldn't be surprised if other religions like come to similar conclusions. Right. That's a good point. Like, I don't think that that's invalidating to anybody. See, I also think the the blind men analogy can feel a little dehumanizing. Like, I think it can be used in a wrong way. Like, mm-hmm. I think it can be helpful, but I think we can also, it can be really easy for us to finger point and be like, well, we know it's an elephant and you guys are just blind, so. Right, yeah, mm-hmm. kind of what I was pointing out. Like, we have the benefit of being the third party who gets to view the sure. image of the elephant and the guys touching yeah, it. Yeah, and I, I honestly don't love okay, that. Okay, but, opinion. like, just, just, uh... Just pivot the, uh, I think of it as dimensions, right? So these, mm-hmm. like, they didn't have the blindfold. They are three-dimensional beings bumping into something in the fourth, fifth, or sixth dimension, right? It's not necessarily, mm-hmm. like, dehumanizing, like, right. you're inherently crippled or, like, lacking a fundamental sense of what it is to be human. But we're all encountering something that's that seems to be so far beyond us or... I don't know, in another plane or mm-hmm. in 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 a spiritual dimension in a way that we can't we can't put our like our eyes to it, like our metaphorical eyes. We can't see the spiritual realm, however you want to say that, right? So mm-hmm. instead mm. instead of if you believe in that. Well oh. I mean <laughs> Oh. Hey. Hey. Yeah, but maybe that's getting too far ahead. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So I think I think it is it's easy to look at that image and be like, "Oh, look at those, uh, those poor, those poor guys who like, mm-hmm. like, where did the blindfolds come from?" <laughs> There's sure. another question. Yeah. Well, and right? at the end of the day, I think it's meant to be a parable anyway. So obviously, there's sure. going to be limits on metaphor, of course. And I think we should only like assume its helpfulness as far as it goes, of mm-hmm. course. So I think it can be helpful for sure. Okay, Emily, I want to bounce something off of you. Yeah. Okay, since I'm thinking about it. Greg Boyd, he's a theologian from Minnesota. He has this concept that he really circles back to a lot called accommodationism. Oh, have you ever heard of this? Mm-hmm. Very, li- very little of it, but yeah. Okay, so please correct me if I'm wrong and you know more about this than me. But the way I understand, the way he argues for it is God accommodates incorrect views of God that would then lead us to a greater, more fulfilled understanding of God. And that's how Greg Boyd makes sense of the Old Testament and like the journey Mm. we see the Israelites go on Mm -hmm. of like going from polytheism to henotheism to monotheism and then eventually the Bible like affirming Christ as the fullest picture of God. Sure. Yeah. And that's that's what he would argue for because he argues that the Bible supports that view Mm. um, Mm -hmm. of God accommodating incorrect views of God to lead us to a greater understanding of God. Mm-hmm. And I think that that analogy can kind of come in handy with this uh, elephant situation. That's what I was when just When it comes thinking. to interfaith dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. Because you bring up a good point when, you know, when you see almost like inconsistencies throughout the Bible or like, well, even I think it was a couple episodes ago that um, I was talking about the conference that had taken place where they were even trying to decide do we recognize Jesus as the divine? Should we include mm. Jesus as part of the divine? Like, are we truly a Trinity-based 
group or, you know, do we just have God and the Holy Spirit and, oh, yeah, that guy over there, Jesus. And so I think the Bible, though, is a really great tool for us to read and reflect on those inconsistencies that we've had. And like, yeah, maybe that is God kind of steering us into a new direction of, no, 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 let's look at it from this way. Let's, you know, let's kind of change the journey a bit. Um, What would you say? Yeah, I I really like that, actually. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Brian Zahn says that God has always been like Jesus, but humans have not always known that he was like Jesus. And now in the Mm -hmm. full revelation of the New Testament, we actually get a picture of what God is like through Jesus, Mm -hmm. right? So, which I can right. fully get on board with. That makes complete sense to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How yeah. far does how far does accommodationism go? Do you think, Josh? Though, see, I've only heard Greg Boyd talk about it in terms of making sense of the Bible and the Old Testament, especially in trying to reconcile some of the some of the depictions of God we see in there, and those mm-hmm. being very distinct from the person of Jesus. Yeah, and I think that's all but he's ever. Gonna I think go. it extrapolates to other religions. To be honest. I think it might. I would agree. Yeah. Like because some of some of them obviously have something closer to Christianity than others. Mm-hmm. And some of them don't seem to completely contradict the Christian view of God. Right. Yeah. Especially as each tradition walks itself more into a mystical train of their tradition. Right. So there's mm. there's Islam. Mm-hmm. But inside of Islam, there's a tradition of like the Sufi mystics inside of Islam who if you read them they start talking a lot like Christian mystics even like St. Francis mm. or Thomas Merton right we mm. it seems like we all start sounding the same eventually to me and that and that's why I think this this image of the elephant is so compelling to me is we're all trying to grapple with our limited scopes of of mm-hmm. what we might be finding in the divine and mm-hmm. you know as as a tradition gets more mis- mystical it seems like it's kind of it's stepping back and trying to make more of of the overall elephant that you're encountering right instead of only recognizing hey we don't have sight but we have touch and that's how that's how all these people are interacting with the elephant right but what we don't see in the picture is someone stepping back and like using their sense of smell or using their sense of hearing to try and describe mm-hmm. what we're all touching. Right. And to me, it seems like someone who is going to step back and take a much more contemplative, slow, centered approach to what the elephant might be. That's that is what seems to be like mysticism to me inside mm-hmm. a religious mm-hmm. tradition. Actually, I think what is really compelling about this image to me still is you're right that they're like not using their other senses. And that also means they're not communicating with each other. Like if all of those blind men were just to say like what they were feeling and right. could, well, I guess they are, but like what we don't see in the parable is them communicating and coming to a new conclusion together. Right. Are well, they right, hearing you don't each see other? Any engagement of like, Oh, this is what I feel. I think it's this. What do you feel? You know, they're not, they're not seeing if there mm-hmm. are any similarities or any differences. They're just, they are only limited by what they can sense with with touch and the fact that you know i just think for people who rely on that they have to communicate what it is that they're feeling they can't just say to themselves this is what i think it is they they actually like fully describe you know oh this feels fuzzy or you know it's a very crunchy texture it reminds me of this that would then spark 
conversation for someone else to say, oh, you know, yeah, I kind of feel this too, maybe. And then that would engage in dialogue for them to say, oh, wow, there are actually similarities. And maybe the question comes down to, do we want to just see different religions as just that, just different religions? Or should we go further and and acknowledge that there are more than just similarities, but they actually had an influence on each other. Like, Mm. I would argue that, like, Hinduism definitely was the foundation for Buddhism. Like, Mm. right. You know, and so I think we have to acknowledge that there are these steps that are taken for a religion to take place. And we have to acknowledge what Mm. was that first initial step. Yeah, absolutely. Like none of these religions came to inside a vacuum, like on their own accord. But that also doesn't invalidate them. True, but it it at least seems that maybe two of the five that I named at the top may have come across or come of their own accord. You know, so if if Buddhism can be tied to Hinduism, we can draw a pretty Mm -hmm. easy line from Judaism to Islam to Christianity, right? Like Judaism, Mm -hmm. like there's Mm -hmm. a reason it's called Abrahamic religion. Right. You know? So there might be a couple roots, but even there. So I, what I what I've been thinking of, like looking at this image more and more, what they're all doing is they're making a statement about what they're encountering and insisting that theirs is the correct one. What's interesting mm-hmm. to me though is there's two guys in common, or two guys encountering something that seem to be so in common that they would almost agree. But one is on the trunk saying it's a snake and one is on the tail saying it's a rope. So how much how much do you think the culture you're born into influences whether you think it's a snake or a rope? Mm. Because arguably they're pretty close. Well, like 100 percent. But that doesn't invalidate it. No, it definitely doesn't invalidate it. it. Yeah. Like it would be the genetic fallacy to say that, like, just because you were born in America, that makes you a Christian. And therefore, like Christianity is wrong. True. that, That like just like. Just because you're more likely to grow up in a place that's a certain religion doesn't mean that religion's false. Mm-hmm. Yes. Same thing with Hinduism. Like that doesn't that doesn't mean the millions of Hindus out there have incorrect beliefs just because of where they were born. Right. So bringing right. like how far does that concept of accommodationism come into? All right. This this woman was born in India in the year 2015. She's a five year old now, and. Like, is, has God just, has the Christian God just written her off because, because she's, she is saying that he feels more like a wall than the Christians would say it's a spear or a rope or. To be honest, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we can. Mm. So where, where do you think the certainty comes from? The certainty of what? Or that, that, I mean, so that, that might be a dumb question, but I'm saying. All these people are encountering this elephant in our image here, and they're making a statement sure. with exclamation points saying, "Sure, it's a wall. It's a fan, right? They're not asking each other questions. And like you pointed out, Emily, there's not a lot of communication going. Um, and like I previously mentioned, there's not a lot of like stepping back and trying to engage the other senses. Man, I guess what I'm just trying to get at is that I'm skeptical of like the certainty making around uh, what what we talk about when we talk about God, you know, sure. I, in uh, terms of like exclusive belief. Or yeah. Like, yep. Yeah. Sure. I think the mm-hmm. exclusivity is something I'm puzzling out. I don't, I can't sure. make a claim that it's wrong, but it's, right. there's, it's something that I've been working on for quite a, quite a while. Okay. Well, what do you think about this idea? I think I didn't think about this until we started talking about it. 
But I think I don't love the elephant analogy in terms of being representative of religions exploring God, because in some ways we're like not all centered around the same thing. Like that, mm, I would agree. Bud- Buddhism approaches the divine very differently than Christianity or Islam or Judaism. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like not even talking about groups that have branched off from each one. Oh, well, so oh, Josh, I was actually going to bring that up too. I'm re I'm looking at this picture again and mm-hmm. I was just thinking to myself, what would happen if, cause there are four legs, there are two tusks, what if you had someone on each leg and someone on each tusk and they all described it differently? <laughs> so that brings me to, I almost think this might be a more helpful analogy for Christianity. That's what I and, was thinking. And oh, was it? Ah, yeah. Because I'm thinking like denominations. That's essentially yeah. what it is, is we're all describing the legs of an elephant, but we all see them so differently. Well, and Christianity is literally person-centric. You could argue it's book-centric and tradition-centric, but like we're all trying to like feel out Christ yeah, and say this is what it means to be a Christian. Like there's actually a good focal point there that we're like all trying to grab onto the pole in the middle versus like mm-hmm. the other religions are like kind of, some of them are grasping at very different things mm. in terms of like pursuit and motivation. Sure. Versus like, I think you could argue to be a Christian means to like follow Christ and to be like Christ. Like that's how it's usually interpreted. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. I like the elephant analogy for Christianity and theology, I think. Well, and especially because like I'm just looking at the picture and I see like the elephant, his eyes, like he's rolling his eyes in a sense of like, y'all, come on, like. Mm. you You should have a sense of what I am, you know, like there's no reason to. There's no reason to have all these divides of, like, it's a fan, it's a wall, it's a tree. The elephant's like, hmm. I don't know how to make it more clear that I'm an elephant. Like, and, I, <laughs> and Stephen, you bring up a good point. They're not utilizing all their senses and they're not communicating. But I think if we just look at the image as a whole, like, just first glance, this elephant is like, what else does it take to show you what I am? And so mm. I think for for Christians, you know, we're we're doing this you know nitpicking of well no it's this and this is how we see it and this is how it should be and i sometimes wonder if god's just like y'all what what does it take for you to see like here it is right here i also think it's a helpful analogy for um christians who are nitpicking things that don't need to be nitpicked can you give an example secondary (laughs) issues like the christian who's like investigating that ear and they're like peering into inside of it and they're like well there's this like ear canal and I think we like all need to get in here <laughs> instead of like focusing so, on that was a really no, weird analogy. But well, no. So give like, give an example, though, like real life. What's so like the, what would be um, what's the what would be the ear canal? Yeah. Anything other than affirming Jesus as the full inspiration of God. Mm. Say more. I think like kind of like you, you brought up about Brian Zahn, Stephen and Greg Boyd says a very similar thing. And honestly. N.T. Wright says a really similar thing, too, that like if you're if you don't believe that Jesus is. If you don't believe God looks exactly like Jesus and has always been like Jesus, then on some level, you're like not a Christian because that's what Christians believe. Mm, well, oh, can I challenge you? Right. Just a little oh, please bit? do. Oh, no, please do. Yeah. No, I'm just so, like spitballing here. I think when we acknowledge what God looks like, the first thing that at least comes to my mind is, oh, so you're telling me that God is a man. 
And Dis- I would woof. disagree with that. I okay. don't think that's what I'm saying. I, okay. I, ju- I mean, I think we can say just in terms of character and okay. in terms of showing us what it means to love other people. Well, so, okay, but then the question is like, okay, so, you know, God God could have incarnate come in any form. Like, mm. why why a first century Palestinian Jew who's a man? Like, do you get what I'm saying? Mm. There are things okay. that we can kind of ravel and kind of tear apart as to w- what was it about Jesus as the human. I actually, this was my sermon today, mm. which was really strange. Oh. I talked about Jesus as divine and Jesus as human and how the phrase, what would Jesus do, is a really tough question to ask because we're talking Mm -hmm. about someone who is God incarnate. But what we can Mm -hmm. acknowledge is, okay, what did God incarnate do as a first century Palestinian Jew? Like, what were the Mm -hmm. gifts and the tasks at hand that Jesus was able to accomplish? So then we can ask ourselves, not what what would Jesus do, but what should we do? Like, we as 21st Mm. century, whomever you are, whatever race, sexual orientation, whatever. So it's a good question, though, to say, you know, what what about other religions and their perspectives of – their messiah or a messiah if there is a messiah what what does that entail for them so yeah but oh i oh i love these conversations they're great okay so how would you if i feel like we're meeting together on liking the elephant as an analogy for theology in the christian church Mm -hmm. so how would you word it differently than the way i worded it in terms of like, mm. like, what would you give as an example? Like, it it is honestly difficult to come up with an example of something secondary because, honestly, there's a lot of Christians that think some things are like essential components, sure, and other Christians are like, well, that's kind of a secondary issue. Uh, mm-hmm. Like hell, hell's probably the most neutral example. <laughs> Ironically, you think so? Um, there's like some Christians that believe that that's an essential, and then there's oh, other yeah. Christians that are like, it's well, a metaphor. That's not really a core component of Jesus's yeah. message. Mm. Like right. you can, be- there's like a couple of different interpretations, but like that's not the core. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best example I can come up with. That's not mm-hmm. completely inflammatory, pun intended. <laughs> what would you give as an example, Emily? Like if Jesus is the elephant in the room, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah. Oh, well, see, but now I don't know because... <laughs> Ooh, okay. Well, and me, I don't know, maybe it was the, the pastor in me being nitpicky about your your perspective. But I think you're right in the sense of Jesus being the purest example of love and compassion and mercy. Uh, Stephen, what do you think? Because you that's the thing, you've been kind of listening to this back and forth now. So has your perspective changed? Do you are you on the same page? What are things that have come up for you? This has been so Yeah, have we changed your mind yet, Stephen? <laughs> uh, I've been listening for so long I forgot that I was actually recording. It was like I listened to so many podcasts and I'm like, dang, this is a good conversation. And then I'm in the unique position of I can actually jump in now. So that's fun. Thank you for this gift. Um <laughs> Anytime. I, I'm wondering if I You're not could... the only one. That happens to me like every episode we do. Yeah, right? I like forget that I'm not listening to a podcast. <laughs> I'm honestly wondering how much work we can do. Forgive me for bringing it up yet again. People are almost certainly sick of it. But I've uh, been piecing my way through the Universal Christ with my friend Richard Rohr. And... Like I, oh, your personal friend, I Richard just, Rohr? I just read... I mean, I feel like his friend at this point, man. <laughs> Kindred spirits, maybe, at least. Spiritual director, something like that. Like, parasocial mentor, whatever. 
Um, I so he he's been doing a lot of speaking in his book about how Christ was not Jesus's last name, and yes, mm-hmm. you know, so good. good. <laughs> what I've what I've been thinking about is how how the Christ Spirit reveals itself moving beyond Jesus. And that's that's going to sound inflammatory, but what I mean is there's there's the Christ spirit that was so that was so evidently hyper focused into the the first century Palestinian Jew as Emily said, like mm-hmm. the Christ spirit was so alive in him that he called more people on and into the path, right? Like into the fold of this way of being, of loving your neighbor, going the extra mile when you aren't compelled to do so, you know, turning the other cheek in a subversive way of flipping the power mm-hmm. scripts, all that. So the Christ was so inspired within Jesus that we have a whole thing called Christianity now. And I, Paul gets to this, Josh, you've already mentioned the verse where I think it's in Colossians where he says the the Christ in all, through all, mm-hmm. at all, you know, however you want to say that. So, like, when we talk about, like, tertiary theologies that might be, like, you know, we're getting a little too nitpicky about this. It's hard for me to pick one. Yeah. Because some sometimes I, I read Jesus and I'm like, was he ever even talking about what we end up talking about all the time now? I, like, mm. uh, most recently reading through the Gospels, I noticed that Jesus never once asks us to worship him. In fact, he's always pointing mm. to, like, I and the Father right. are one. You, we go to the, you know, you used to go to the mountain to worship, right? That's the woman at the well. Like those people will worship on the mountain. These lesser people can't, but now he's saying Mm -hmm. like, it's all decentralized. It's all everywhere. Like just wake up to the fact that the Christ spirit is around you now. Boy, am I rambling now? (laughs) Okay. Well, you also made me think of that, uh, that verse, uh, is it in Ephesians where he says like neither height nor depth Mm -hmm. nor anything else can separate us. Is it in Ephesians? Uh, let me double check. I'm gonna butcher that. I have no idea. It's Paul somewhere. <laughs> but like, if we if we like believe that that nothing can separate us from God's love, Romans. Um, Emily, is it Romans? Of Romans course, eight, it's Romans thirty nine. Oh, the Constitution of Christianity. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Thank goodness. Jesus is the Constitution. Nice. Um. <laughs> so if. If we actually believe that, though, that nothing can separate us from God's love, um, Emily, I think it was last episode you brought up something about, like, you still believe other traditions are God's children, too. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want you to expand on that. I don't think you've really gotten into that yet. And oh, I want to hear no. your thoughts. Yeah. So, like, how do you see that coming together? And so, well, so for me, I guess it's my understanding of I'm able to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior till my dying breath and even beyond that amen amen but i i i cannot find it in my heart to say people who do not necessarily claim jesus christ as their lord and savior who are either from a different religion or no religion for that matter i don't see how god could create all human beings all life in god's image and say well only this group of people can be considered my children and welcomed into the kingdom mm. of God. And I say kingdom specifically because kingdom can be seen in a negative light, whereas kin, referring to family or siblingship, um, so is more 
open. And so I've been saying kingdom lately and people are like, oh, that she first she forgot a letter. I literally um, just started reading this book that said the exact same thing. Yeah. And yeah, it's a, it's a very it can be taken in a very negative light, just like when I was talking about earlier, you know, people saying, oh, well, you know, Jesus is God. OK, so you're saying God's a man that can be seen in a very negative way, especially for people, sure. you know, people who don't like to say God the father, you know, if they mm-hmm. either didn't have a father or, you know, were abused mm. by their father, whatever the case may be, father can be seen in a negative light. And so that's how God mother came to be was for people to mm. still have a grasp of God as a parent, but not in a not in a form that would be taken negatively. So back to my mm-hmm. point. I think God as a concept is made in a way for us to explore in unique situations. And so I, I believe that's how different religions came to be, was mm. time and place allowed them to see God in a way that they can understand at that moment – And that grew into a religion. And then other people started exploring and expanding their understanding. And then that's how that religion came to be. And so you kind of have this, you know, like a buffet table of of different things that are essentially still a whole nourishing and feeding us. And that is what God is. You know, I, I I probably will get in trouble, but like <laughs> I my my task as a pastor is not to save souls. That's not my job. Oh. Mm. That oh. is not my job. And I am not going to waste my time trying to tell people, no, 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 you have to believe Jesus or you're going to hell. Mm. Because that is not life-giving. I and I am to sit and be present with people just like I would think God is sitting and being present with me in whatever mm-hmm. life circumstances I'm in. So, yeah. So do you think that seeing uh, other people, if they're not Christians or like whatever they are, um, do you think that seeing people as, quote unquote, the children of God is distinct from seeing the Imago Dei in humanity? Oh, or yes. Do you just like, are you just seeing that as the same thing? They are the same thing, but I think the Imago Day is more of an individual identity than oh. like seeing the image of God allows you to see yourself in God's image. It's a very individualized huh. perspective. Whereas children of God, we can hold the Imago Day as individuals and come together as be children of God. Mm. Oh, interesting. I did not expect you to say that. Like like the image of God in me. The image of God in me is not the same as in you or in Stephen, but yet that is still God's image. And when we come together, we are children of God. That is not how I, I thought you were going to explain that. That's really interesting. Thank you. What? I'm glad I could, huh. uh, you know, turn the tables on that. you. What were you ready to hear, Josh? <laughs> well, I was, I was ready to hear. I was ready to hear either that that's exactly the same thing. That you're like mm-hmm. seeing people mm-hmm. as children of God because of God in them, mm-hmm. like the Imago Dei in humanity. Because mm-hmm. I've, I've kind of heard of it the other way around. Like mm-hmm. the Imago Dei being like God created humanity in God's image, not just individuals in God's image. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, we individually are children of God. Like I've sure. always heard it the other way around, and I'm not even sure that those two are contradictory but i think i see what you're saying Mm -hmm. emily you reminded me of the 
promotional video. Have you guys ever watched the uh, the documentary about Rob Bell called The Heretic? Oh, yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Rob Bell. You reminded me of the promotional video that he shot for Love Wins back when the book was about to release. And he uh, he was talking about like an art show or something they did at the church. And somebody had quoted Gandhi on a piece of art. And someone with a marker like on someone else's creation of art that was representing words from Gandhi, somebody like defaced it essentially and saying too bad Whoa. he's in hell <gasps> oh and rob bell is like mm. is he really though is that what we're about now are those oh. is that the kind of people mm. like that's what you're like mm. bringing up for mm-hmm. me is like that's what kicked off his entire idea of like re-exploring christian universalism right as a very real potentiality for the afterlife um mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why is it that Christians suck so hard at <laughs> interfaith dialogue, right. but also intrafaith dialogue? Right. Like mm. we suck at them both often, yeah. mm-hmm. except except in uh, instances of incredible religious figures like Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Like this book I just started highlighted how he's often forgotten as a religious figure and he's often remembered and memorialized as like a rebel or a resistor yeah. alongside people like mm. Robert E. Lee, right. mm-hmm. which is kind of a different situation than right. remembering him as a religious Oof. figure. Yeah, no kidding. Who was like, dr- like deeply inspired by not just Gandhi, but by Jesus Yeah, in terms of how our faith makes us interact with the world around right. us. So there's my question. Is, is Gandhi tapped in to what I was trying to like describe as like the Christ separate from Jesus, right? Like the Christ mm-hmm. spirit that is ever spinning into the universe. Sure. Was Gandhi tapped in enough that we could claim what we also termed as accommodationalism back there? Like is Gandhi enough of a tr- child of God for us to say he's welcome in or like welcome to the new Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Her gates are always open. Gandhi's Maybe. here. Again, I think I have to say, I don't know. I don't think we can answer that. Right. I feel pretty agnostic about that. <laughs> okay. Um, but like, I think you can wait, say wait, that wait. there's something. You, you're mm-hmm. agnostic about that set in a positive term like that, but it seems to me like you are not agnostic when somebody said too bad he's in hell. Like you want to rebel against the, oh, he's not welcome mm-hmm. in. But when I frame it as he's welcome in now, now you seem to be like, maybe. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I... I don't I think those people are wrong. Okay. The people that are going to scribble like, "Well, he's in hell now, so too bad." Like, I don't think we can definitively say that. Oh, okay. Uh, that's what I have a problem gotcha. with. Is that certainty? It's the yeah. Right. Yeah. Does that make sense? That does make sense, yeah. But I do think you're right that like Gandhi, people like Gandhi tapped into something that Jesus also tapped into, mm-hmm. that like form of nonviolence resistance, but I think it's important to point out that Gandhi unlike Dr. Martin Luther King did not feel inspired by Jesus. He was inspired by Jainism, which is like a mm. hyper nonviolent form of religion. Like they, so, like the extreme Jainists won't even walk on grass. Right. So they don't kill bugs. Correct. Yeah. But like we can see like the overlap in nonviolence, but they definitely were not inspired by the same mm-hmm. elephant, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't sure. know. But you're right. They're like coming to similar conclusions. And so that, that would lead us to think, there's some common belief 
I think that that's what gets me about like the problem of interfaith dialogue and Christians sucking at it so hard is like that seems so obvious to me. Right. Like why can't we why can't we meet on that and be like, hey, we agree about this, even though we started in a different spot and we're ending in a different spot. We agree about right. This. Well, and I think the the compelling thing to me is that inspiration being different, but we're we're beginning to act in the same way. Like we okay, so Gandhi mm-hmm. and Martin Luther mm-hmm. King, right? Radical nonviolence, rebelling against power and uh, structures set up uh, against them in such a subversive way that you know those structures end up toppling, mm-hmm. right? Like in, inspiration being different, the fact that they're acting the same seems more important to Jesus in the, in the gospels than like mm. them being inspired by the same Ooh, books or the same y- traditions. Yeah, but mm. also mm-hmm. do we just want everybody to act the same? Like are we just trying to like get people on a different behavior model? Well, I mean, I guess I'm getting down to orthodoxy versus orthopraxy, right? Like Sure. Okay. Yeah, that's a good distinction. Yeah, so MLK Jr. and Gandhi didn't believe the same thing in an orthodoxy or you know uh, a a correct thinking way but they sure Mm -hmm. seem to be both acting an orthopraxis or like correct Mm. correct action in the same vein that christ would call everyone to Mm -hmm. yeah okay yeah i can get on board with that i like yeah but do you see what i'm saying about like uh, i don't understand why it's so difficult for us to recognize that. Yeah. Like that seems so obvious to me. For instance, like Muslims really venerate Jesus. They don't venerate him as the Messiah, the Lord and Savior, the divine, but they venerate him as a prophet. Correct. Oh, yeah. So like wh- why can't why is it so difficult for a Christian to be like, "Hey, we like Jesus too and you like him too. We should read him together." Oh. Like we think he's right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Josh, here's here okay, here's a fun experiment for the three of us. Oh, I'm ready. Oh, yeah. So that was something. I love that's something to you that is attractive, or at least like you can point out and say, like, man, it seems like Muslims are on board with Jesus as a prophet, at least at in the very least, on board mm-hmm. with that. Uh, can we name things that we're on board with from other religions? So if I say Buddhism, what comes up to you that you would be able to affirm as, yeah, I mean, they're they're on the right track, at least. Mm. I'm sure there's tons of things. I don't know how many I can think of sure. off the top of my head. Because honestly, I'm not an expert in the other religions. But uh, m- I think mindfulness gets a bad rap. Mm-hmm. That's oh, obviously yeah. like a spiritual practice that's more common in Buddhist thought. True. But yeah. it's completely in line with like prayer and centering prayer and... Absolutely. Like trying to experience yep. Jesus in your life. What about mm-hmm. Mormonism? I would posit Mormonism gets the the concept of the family just a hundred percent correct. They're so mm. family and relationship huh. oriented, and it's so hmm. it's so beautiful to me. Honestly, like they put so much value hmm. into making sure that the family as uh as its own community as and as its own unit is flourishing. From hmm. what I've witnessed, you know, so uh, my wife's family is predominantly Mormon. And from what I've witnessed, there is uh, financial sharing. There is like literal oh, food mm-hmm. sharing, welcoming other members of the family under their roof for months at a time if they need it. So that's something I could just wholesale like affirm and be like, man, 
there there's something that we're missing out on if we just completely write mm-hmm. off Mormonism mm-hmm. and call it a cult and move on. Sure. Well, I see that's what my fear is in using the elephant analogy yeah. for religions oh. is like the dehumanization of other people and their mm-hmm. beliefs. Mm. Like that's what I really don't want to come to conclude. Sure. Mm-hmm. Because I think that you can believe that something is objectively true and that you're going to follow it and not dehumanize other beliefs and people. Right. So then what happens when we kind of cherry pick elements from different religions and mold it into our own belief system? What what happens then? Oh, like, are we guilty of something by Mm -hmm. by doing that? Um, Or maybe not even like, are we guilty? But like, I guess. Are you like asking if there's any pitfalls? Yeah, that yeah, that'd probably get, be a good that, way to frame that. Mm, I think that if people aren't careful, no matter what their background is, I think that they can run the risk of just taking what they want mm-hmm. and forgetting about the stuff that they don't want sure. to work on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For instance, I think that you could run the risk of of only interacting with religions positively and like taking what you want that like sounds good, what feels good. And like not wanting to work on yourself and your own development, your own growth, mm-hmm. your own willingness to be wrong. I think that I could I think that that could actively do people harm. Mm. Oh, yeah, I agree. Well, especially not like if you if you're willfully blind to the negatives of the religions that you're trying yeah. to. I mean, OK, so let's start with Christianity or, then. or even just your own. negatives. Yeah. Your own mm-hmm. or your own groups. Like, I think that that's why Christianity is A, so attractive and B, so successful for a lot of people is because it is very, it's argued as very like personal development focused. Oh, like, absolutely. Shed sin, repent, like better yourself to like look more like Jesus. I know not, not every version of Christianity looks exactly like mm-hmm. that, sure. but I think a lot of people find success in that because it is growth focused. So I am, that's the first thing that comes to mind for me in terms of a pitfall is like forgetting about like the parts of religion that we don't want to talk about. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And I, I would I would think that the order in which you would deal with positives and, and negatives, my gut, it feels right to me that we should we should bias like looking for the common ground in other traditions and saying I, I can totally affirm mindfulness within within Buddhist philosophy, Buddhist mm, thought. Mm-hmm. I can totally affirm that. Let's look for the positives in other traditions, and then let's actually do the hard work of critiquing our own tradition first before we start right. trying to foist the positives mm-hmm. out. So, like recognizing the fact that Christianity has a legacy of mm-hmm. literal wars behind us, crusades yeah, it's just like, being an example. Right? Like we like Christianity. There was a time that Christianity was also known. To certain groups of people for also waging religious war, mm-hmm. right? It's like that idea of you're pointing a finger, but you have three fingers pointing back Thank at you. Thank you. Yes. It's almost like take out the speck in your own eye before you, or <laughs> like take out the log in your own eye before you point out mm-hmm. the dust yeah. in your mm-hmm. brother's yeah. eye. Yeah. yeah. That sounds familiar. Snap. Yes. But instead, I think the way uh, our communities work and- you know, a, a major pitfall of groupthink is to say, you know, I find that I found the tribe that's 100% correct. And so now I've done the work and now I just get to start telling everyone else how they're wrong. Uh, so, Emily, I want to come back to the, the, the thought of like everyone is a is children of God, because this this is kind of where I wanted the conversation 
this is what I, this is what I was looking for when I posed the question. Uh, to be a hundred percent, I I was looking for a venue for a conversation about if we're gonna say that the divine isn't all the same elephant, or which I know Josh, you're skeptical of that of that move there. But the are you compelled then to actually do the evangelistic work to prove that people are bumping up against the wrong elephant and you need to show them theirs? Or yours? Because mm. Emily seems like she's in a place where she has come to peace with the fact that she can affirm the Imago Dei and the uh, the identity of children of God in a communal sense to everyone first, mm-hmm. right? She's not compelled to do the saving souls work and the evangelistic work. Mm-hmm. So that seems consistent. Where Josh, I'm wondering where where that comes into you. Because what I, what I want to see is... If people actually believe that we're all on different elephants, or at least on different parts of the elephant, it seems like to be like consistent, right? You got to match your orthodoxy with your orthopraxy and actually do the work to start showing people that your way is the right way. That sounds really accusatory, and I didn't mean for. (laughs) Well, I think that that's. I think I think that that's what gets me so hard about the interfaith dialogue question. Anyway, is that I think there's a lot of Christians, especially in America who do believe that, who do believe that like exclusivity, like I literally the other day in Pike Place here in Seattle, I just saw a man yesterday with like a speaker and a microphone shouting at people about like, it's not worth going to hell, like believe in Jesus. Like I'll give him credit. It seems like that guy believes people are legitimately going to hell because he's out there preaching about it. Like I think he legitimately believes I think he legitimately believes that if he doesn't, people will perish for eternity in yeah. hell. Yeah. So I'll give him that. But I think what well, like gets me so hard is like if people do legitimately believe there are those eternal consequences if people don't follow Jesus, then why why aren't they strategically trying to like come at the elephant with these like common points and be like, hey, we agree about this. Mm. Hey, you're like we're kind of like in the same vein on this. To like as a strategy to get people towards Jesus, if that's what they actually mm, believe. Yeah. If they're not doing that, mm, I would say they don't fully believe it then. Yes. Yes. That's that's where I wanted to come to is like your your actions <laughs> like, betray what you actually believe. So if you Faith without works is dead. Sure. Right. Yeah. So if you actually believe that your elephant or your interpretation of the elephant is the right interpretation, then what are you but, doing? But I also think, I also think, I'm kind of with Emily on this, that you can believe in Jesus, and that doesn't mean you have to, like, completely, like, disregard other people's beliefs as invalid. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that that means you have to... Uh, Stephen, I, I like that you brought up the point about mysticism earlier. Um, and I don't think that's true for all religions, mm-hmm. but I do think that a lot of them do start to sound pretty similar when they start talking about the experience of the divine. Sure. I don't think that that means that, uh, I don't know, help me out here, Emily. What am I trying to say? <laughs> I think what I'm trying to say is like, that doesn't mean we should assume that all the other religions have nothing true to say. Sure, right. Yeah. Like, just because, we, it, like, if we believe Jesus is the way or the fullest revelation of god or like whatever mm-hmm. language you want to put there like if you believe in jesus that doesn't mean that the other religions have nothing wise to give us exactly yeah yeah so i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me 
is the except through me, is it Jesus or is it the Christ? And like, what, what's your gut say if I suggest that the Christ can be found in other traditions? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Well, well, I would say yes, only because if we if we look at the word Christ just separate, Christ just means anointed one. Mm. And so I think what separates Jesus from maybe other anointed ones is that Jesus is claimed both in his identity and God's identity as God's son. But you can be anointed and not be God's son in my opinion. And so when we say, when we claim Jesus Christ, we're saying more than just Jesus Christ. We're saying Jesus Christ as the Messiah, like the anointed one who, who is going to save, who is going to restore. That's different than just leaving it at Christ, the anointed one. Yeah. It seems to me though, that the, the decentralizing work that, that Jesus spent his whole ministry doing was was inviting us to all recognize that we are also sons and daughters along with him, right? Emily, you and I had a conversation about that. Like Paul mm. dares to call us co-heirs with Christ and not like sub-heirs or th- the next on the the pyramid scheme, right? Like instead, right. the playing field is even. So let's flip it now because I, I sound like I'm a, uh, a pantheist, panentheist, just ready to affirm everyone's salvation. Let's flip it. And Emily, would you give me a couple points in which you would say, this is what makes Christianity unique. And this is why you find it compelling enough to become a pastor and stay in the tradition. Mm. Well, oh man, that's, I've never had anyone ask me that. Before. Is there a way you can flip something we've already discussed, say in Islam or Mormonism or Buddhism or Hinduism in which you can say yes and because that feels like the Christian's hmm. divine or like sacred sacred work to do here on earth is say yes and to what we see. Yeah. So my my example is wow. Actually, wait. I like that, Stephen. Oh, what? <gasps> say that again. I think. Say it I again. think the 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 centered Christian's work here in this life here on this earth in the year of our Lord twenty twenty. I think our sacred work is to do a a big old cosmic yes and to what other world religions and what other traditions are offering us. So my mm. my favorite one, I'll I'll throw this out and then mm. I want to hear from you two is I 100% can affirm Buddhists when they say life is suffering. I I I, I like mm. I can't find another way around it. So life is suffering in the way that we form attachments and in the way we like intertwine our souls and our hearts with other people, places, things, insert another noun. Um, my wife and I in February of this year experienced a miscarriage and we didn't know that she was pregnant until we knew that she wasn't pregnant anymore. Like we had never gotten the positive test, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but she went through the miscarriage and it was like, wait, what? Mm. We were pregnant and we didn't learn about it until it wasn't true already. And for, for Mm. the months of, of just grief and dealing with that experience, I feel like I've been taught, yes, life is indeed suffering. And yes, life is indeed suffering because you form attachments, right? 
um, we've talked about like Dixie and I have the sacred desire to be parents and uh, which is at the bottom of arguably genetics, but also it's, it's like, a, it's like another version of that. Yes. And right. Like the love we feel in our marriage, mm, we're not lonely, mm-hmm. but we want to share it with more. So it's a yes, affirm what we have now and let's have a child to share it with. But so experiencing that grief and that suffering, I can affirm Buddhists in that theology, but where Christianity does the yes and, Buddhists would say, therefore, you should cut all attachments to whatever you experience here on earth. You should actually do, do the work to distance yourself from attachment. Whereas Jesus flips the script on that and says, no, actually, I'm right. going to become the very thing mm-hmm. in which you become attached to, right? I'm actually be- going mm-hmm. to, right. you Buddhists are trying to get outside of your body and achieve enlightenment in your head or in your heart and actually transcend the body. Whereas Jesus and the divine in the God that we find in Christianity says, I'm actually going to affirm the opposite. And I'm actually going to pick up a body to show you that the attachment you form mm. in human relationship is actually the most sacred thing. And instead of detaching, you should actually dig mm. into it even further because I'm going to show you the divine mm. pattern of resurrection following. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's more like some religions are coming to the conversation with similar, if not identical premises, mm-hmm. but we're coming to different conclusions because of different variables. Mm. Mm. For instance, like Christianity has the variable of Jesus, but maybe Christianity and Buddhism have a similar premise about life being suffering. And maybe that's why the Bible and Jesus don't have a good answer or sufficient answer for the problem of evil because- sure. The Bible's filled with suffering and about life being about suffering. Look at the book of Job. Mm. Hmm. So maybe there's like a similar premise there, but you brought up a good point about Buddhism and Christianity coming to different conclusions mm-hmm. about True. what to do yeah. with that. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I think that that's why I wouldn't, I think that that's where my problem lies with the elephant analogy. Because I do think that mm-hmm. religions are coming to some different conclusions, but there are some similarities, right? Right. Well, so. so so what if, here's an idea, what if the picture or the metaphor was there are two elephants in the room and one is an African elephant and one is an Asian elephant? They're two mm. different types of elephants, but they mm-hmm. are still elephants and people are describing them in different ways. Would that change the metaphor at all? Maybe. This whole time, too, I've been thinking about the Plato's Cave metaphor. You guys oh, familiar yeah. with that one? Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we can put a... I know a good uh, TEDx animated video explaining Plato's Cave, but it's a similar analogy about... That, that you made me think of earlier, Stephen, when you were talking about the similarity between religions and there being like a common thread. I feel like both of these metaphors get at uh, the pursuit of truth and there being like a higher form of truth um, describing our objective reality. And often we're blind to it until light Mm. reveals it or the Mm. blindfold is taken off. And to be honest, I think you can make an argument for, I was going to say Christianity, but I think possibly you can make an argument for any religion having this element of like revelation or illumination and that they're all doing it in different ways and in different trajectories. But I think that that's the biggest similarity I can wrap my like I can grasp onto. Like it seems like every form of 
traditional religion. I think this kind of excludes some like new religious movement stuff, but um, like all of these old religions are like trying to grasp at that concept, I think, of mm. there's like something higher here. And that to me feels true. Like, I think that that's what feels invalidating to me when we just like disregard someone's pursuit of that. And we just like stop mm, that. No, yeah. you're wrong. <laughs> like, well, they're like trying me- to pursue truth. Like, is that wrong? Like, is their action wrong, even if, like, they're coming to a conclusion that you disagree with? Because that's a different conversation, I think. Yeah. Well, and then especially when you layer in the fact that they may have been born into that tradition, being raised in that in that stream of spirituality or that, that uh, mm. you know, that traditional uh, stream inside their culture. It's like, how you can, can you really blame them? <laughs> hmm. I think... The the biggest thing that I'm like still taking out of this conversation is that it befuddles me and honestly kind of grieves me how much Christians, in my experience, suck at interfaith dialogue and intrafaith dialogue. Like 2000 years later, we still haven't figured it out. Like we're still disagreeing with each oh, other. Yeah. We're still like not able to dialogue with other faiths well. <laughs> and it's been 2000 years. Yeah. Break down the difference in your mind between inter, like I-N-T-E-R, and intra-I-N-T-R-A. Mm-hmm. Oh, intra-faith, or interfaith, meaning like between different things. Intra, sure. meaning like more inward focused. Oh, okay. Like- Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, like intravenous fluid, meaning like inside your veins. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot, Josh. Um, I think we should put a link in the show notes um, of this- blog I wrote a couple months back. It's called Disagreeing for Dummies. And uh, I'll put some good stuff in there. So if you feel like you suck particularly at having these types of conversations, whether it's with Christians or other Christians or other... <laughs> I said Christians or other Christians. <laughs> I meant like other faiths. <laughs> um, uh, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, I'm not completely correct and I don't have it all figured out either, but uh, I think I've found some helpful stuff in disagreeing with people. Yeah. So. You definitely did uh, to uh, to alleviate any risk of Josh sounding very self promotional right there. Uh, I learned from Josh's blog post there, so I would be happy to share a link to it. Wow, man did we did we go anywhere? With I don't that? know if we went anywhere with this. Do you guys feel like you're like bringing anything out of this conversation? I don't know if I've come to any new conclusions or not, but I'm sure I will at some point. Well, so maybe the point isn't to have new conclusions, but maybe it's to reaffirm your conclusions you already had. Oh, that's true. Mm. You know, because the whole point of raveling is, to, you know, what are the things that stick? What are the things that don't? Mm. So maybe this is just solidifies something is... for you and that's okay. I think what I'm going to be walking away from is that idea of yes anding other mm. religious traditions. Like it's such a succinct way of of like getting down into your bones, like what your first response should be. Like, let's look for common ground. Let's look for the places where we all find beauty before I'm just going to try and like cut you down or say that my theology is right over yours, whether that be inside of Christianity or like beyond that and into different like world religions. I think that yes. And concept is something that is something like it's really easy to grasp Mm. those handlebars and kind of take that ride, Mm -hmm. you know? Well, and along with that, I think that I, I still feel pretty strongly that I think God accommodates false views of god 
for other people just as God has for me, like, and still is. And somehow that like is a puzzle piece in God saving and loving the world, even though I don't completely understand it. Right. Yeah. Because this would all be a very terrifying project if we thought that God was the type of God who demanded that you get it all, like check Mm -hmm. all the bullet points. Mm -hmm. Correct. Get the multiple choice. All right. Before you can right. like mm-hmm. leave the test room, <laughs> the, the entry quiz to get into heaven. Yeah, oh. right. That would be horrible. Or like the na- <laughs> the naturalization test to become Ooh. a citizen of heaven. Oh. Wink, oh. wink, wink. What about you, Emily? Do you feel like this conversation <laughs> highlighted anything for you that was new, or like reaffirmed anything for you? Oh yeah, I it definitely reaffirmed the idea of you can come from a different religion and. Mm either have a respect or an understanding for someone else's religion, but still hold firm to yours without having to disregard someone else's. Mm. Um, And I think as a pastor, that's extremely important. Mm. Yeah. I'd be interesting to keep that conversation Mm -hmm. going at a later date. Emily, I want to talk about why you don't feel the need to save souls or evangelize Mm -hmm. because uh, I've been taught that pretty much that's the pastor's job. (laughs) And maybe it's the word evangelize that's the not the issue, but the the center point of our differences. So okay, gotcha. Yeah. yeah, we should talk about that sometime. That's a good idea. Nice, man. This was a fun one. Thank you guys. That was good. Yeah. Do you, do we have any more before we wrap up? I feel uh, pretty satisfied. I feel yeah. also satisfied. Huge thanks to Louis Zong for the use of his song "In Full Color" as our theme song off of his album "Here." Go find his work on Bandcamp and Spotify. And just love that instrumental jam. Also, we'd really love to hear what y'all think about this and about us. So please join the conversation with us at Ravel Pod. We're on Instagram and Twitter. Also, if you love us, please give us a review on iTunes or Facebook because we want to keep the conversation going and we'd love to hear what you think. Also, we post discussion questions on our social medias that um, we would like to encourage more discourse on. So. Please join us if you're into that. We know social media sucks, but Uh, mm -hmm. we'd like to see it used for better things. Please. Come tell us how wrong we are. Please. We're open to it. (laughs) Please do. We need that. I invite that. (laughs) That's how we learn. Correct our theology. That's how we grow. (laughs) Indeed. Emily, will you sign us off? Absolutely. Whether you're holding a rope, a snake, you're touching a wall or touching a trunk, whatever the bigger picture is, we're raveling this together. 